Is this a dream? No, it's not a dream. I'm an angel. Why would God send me an angel? Because God knows that everyone needs a little coaching now and then. I'm loving angels. I saw an angel. All angels say, Hi, and welcome to the Super Angel Podcast, the go-to podcast for angels backing the next generation of European unicorn founders. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our community at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome you to Manolis, CEO of Kogita, a leading global wholesale supplier revolutionizing the market through technology. He was formerly the Director of Operations for Europe, Middle East, and Africa at Uber. Earlier in his career, he worked at Google as an industry manager, helping European businesses boost their online sales and make the most out of the web. Parallel to his work, Manalist co-founded LawSpot, providing openness and transparency of the law to all citizens. LawSpot is now Greece's number one open online hub for all things legal, trusted by 1 million monthly users. Through Cloud9 Ventures, Manalist is also an active angel investor, passionate about the European tech ecosystem, and loves helping startups and mentoring founders on operations, scaling, and international expansion. If you're an angel listening in and wanting to get closer to the European angel scene, do not hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to connect and see how we can play together. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. Vaban from Carter is the easiest way to launch and run your syndicate. Vaban's end-to-end platform automates your back office so you can focus on what matters, supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs and building your network. Angel investors are the fuel to innovation, and they've created the Atom SPV to allow for more deals, more ownership, and less fees. Backed by Carter, the leading fintech infrastructure company, Vaban will be with you all from fundraising to exit. Investors on the Vaban platform have raised over $2.5 billion in global investment for companies including Revolut, Bolt, and SpaceX. If you'd like to learn more, please check out www.vaban.io forward slash EUVC. Welcome back to another episode of the Super Angel Podcast. We're so excited to have you with us. Manolis, you are quite the superstar, so this is exciting. My pleasure. Nice to meet you guys. And it's been, we've been trying for a few months to get, to get here, so it's additionally exciting. Yeah, exactly. Half a year. Super excited to have you on, Manolis. Also a fellow Greek, among other things, but also phenomenal operator and investor as well. So really excited to get started. Do you want to share with the listeners a bit about your story and what got you into angel investing in the first place? Sure. I'm, I'm a bit of, a, of an odd case. So I, I was a lawyer early in my career. Then I got into technology quite randomly. I joined Google in Greece when it was starting. I love marketplaces as an operator. And I'm the CEO of Kogita, which is building Amazon for wholesale, which is the world's second largest market, second to finance only. So it's a huge mission, huge space. And it's where I spend most of my time, as you can imagine. And then equally relevant to, to our conversation, we've started Cloud9 Ventures, which you'd call a micro VC, which is the vehicle through which me and my four partners do a lot of angel investing across Europe. I'm very happy to get into the details of how that started and how we think about it, et cetera, uh, down the line. We obviously have to dive more in there. And full disclaimer, Manolis, before we joined Anthony being a, 
a Greek countryman as well. I said to him, so I just realized we're going to have the Greek mafia here. We hope it's a bit bigger than the two of us. <laughs> yeah, I guess we've got another four in, in cloud nine, am I right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Again, sorry, sorry for pumping, barging in on the script here, Anthony. Take it away. No, no, not at all. Do you want to tell us a bit more if you remember the first time you got into angel investing and what got you there in the first place? And then maybe share your first or some of the more memorable deals you've done. You're happy to? I mean, if I'm very honest, that, and that was many years ago, because I happened to be in these communities where it was quite relevant and cool and, and a bit of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a fad, I would say, like Stanford, you know, Uber alumni, Google alumni. That's how I started without being really, to be honest with you, very deliberate and very thought through about it. But if you're asking if that was how I got into my very, very first angel investments around 10 years ago. And then since then, I mean, things have progressed a lot. Also, I've gotten professionalized. And it's a completely different story now. But my beginning was uh, thanks to my very tech and startup-oriented communities. Could I ask you to expand a little bit? Because I am sure that many in our audience will add the revered clubs of the Google and Uber alumni as Huh. Wonder what's going on in there. How does it work? Is it a Slack group? Is it do you guys actually need? <laughs> Could you share a bit more? Sure. I mean, each company, I, I mean, the, the logic of these syndicates is quite simple, right? The, the LPs are alums of a company. Typically, that syndicate is managed by ex-alums who do it on a full-time basis usually. And they try to invest most of them either in alums of, of that company or even they get access to some very good deals outside the company. So for example, with Uber, you know, it works over email. It's a very well-structured syndicate, in my opinion. You get deals by email, very well-organized. It works by AngelList, and the logistics are super simple. But again, each company, each syndicate might have a different way of operating practically. It's something that many, you know, would... W- Think about how does it actually work. So I think it's cool that you shared that part. Let's get back to what, what Anthony asked before, because I think the, the part around a, a memorable deal is always fun to get concrete. So, so give us something. It doesn't have to be the first one or the last one. I'm not going to mention the, the name of a company, but I remember when I, I, I was looking for work and my financials were very poor, especially regarding liquidity, and I was quite stressed about it. There was one company in the Middle East where I was so borderline and I love the founder. It was super highly recommended, but I was really stressed financially and I couldn't decide. And I ended up investing. It's done super well. We're now three rounds after that. They're doing great. And I'm glad I, I, I took a bit the, the, the financial risk back then. So I guess be beyond financially, which I'm very curious, like, you know, how, what would you say has angel investing given you, I don't know, personally and professionally, right? How do you see it adding to, to those two vectors? Sure. I mean, because we're also asking about the personal level. I mean, obviously, number one, I've met some great people. And because we're quite diverse in geography, spaces, we do early stage, but we're, we can do, for example, from pre-C to Series A or even early B, right? So there's a lot of variance. And that, I think, is somewhat correlated with the different profiles, different situations, different businesses, different spaces we see. So it's really eye-opening for me. So just at a personal level, I'm just loving it, right? Number two, 
there is a lot of stuff that I learned as an investor, which I implement as an operator. And again, personally, I love marketplaces, right? So as you can imagine, there is a, 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 a bias or at least a concentration in terms of investing in marketplaces because you know, I know them better and founders reach out to me more. There's a lot of uh, different things that I've learned from other founders or teams, which the following morning, I'm going to actually uh, change something in my operational role because of something I saw in another company, a concept or a strategy or, or, or a tactic supply growth, marketplace operations, how you tackle fulfillment. There's a lot of, a lot of complex topics w w with a lot of detail. And also, again, at a very personal level, I'm, I'm just having fun also at a personal level. I enjoy it. We didn't start, and we can talk about it if you want, we didn't start Cloud9 only for, you know, or at all back then for the financial return of it. We, we All five of us are simply enjoying doing it. And all five of us are very heavy operators, and that was by design, by the way. So this is the, uh, we, we've committed to spending 10% of our time on angel investing, primarily because it's, it's enjoyable for us, and we believe that we can, we can add value. So one of the things we look at, and we can talk about it, is, is this company materially more likely to succeed because we're on its cap table or not? If the answer is no, we're not going to invest because it's not the best use of our the set of our resources, nor are we the best option for that founder and team, right? And why play that game, right? There's an ample uh, amount of opportunity on both sides. So we don't, we want to, we want to play in an optimal linkage between a founder slash team and us. Oh no, thought about the thesis. Now we've heard that, you know, you're, you're committed to this. You're doing your five, five guys together. You're doing at least 10% of your time spent on angel investing. Could you share us a bit more about your investment strategy? One thing is that you want to do investments where you have a value add as a group, but I'm, I'm sure that there's, there's more to it as well. Let me start with a bit of a, of, a, of a broader thought. I think in the investing world, by the way, in many asset classes, I don't think that's unique to technology, there is a bit of a, I don't know what to call it exactly, a, a bit of a feigned over-sophistication and over-complexity, right? If you screw up as an investor and you did a 37-page invested memo and you thought about every possible question and every possible data point and every possible segment and retention and, uh, and data point and everything, you feel much better, right? Or your LPs are going to be way less stressed, right? Or So I think there's a lot of if I'm honest, either unnecessary or just random or over-indexing on factors, which the earlier you go, the less predictive of or conducive to success are. So we, I personally, and in Cloud9, we don't, we try to, to, to really, from a first principles perspective, very fundamentally to think about how we invest. And that is the following simple thought. So, our number one concept is the right to win, right? What is the right to win of that team, right? So, so if they have won, can we clearly say why it happened? Can we say why this team won and not another team? Can we say why this team won in 2023 and the, the other 10 teams in the last 10 years or 1,000 teams or big companies or whatever did not win in the years before? So what is the right to win, right? There was something very clear and very tangible. Now, this can take different forms, right? 
But the four things we, we, we look at, kind of the big areas or research for that right to win. Number one, it's, it's the person on the team, obviously, right? I'm not saying any, anything intelligent. The earlier you go, the more, the bigger the weight there, because frankly, you have less to, to assess. There, there is less traction or no traction, less product, right? Less, less historicity. Number two, it's the angle. How is this company playing in whichever space? Number three is the space. And number four is the time. I'll make a caveat on the time. I personally do not love this why, the over-indexing of the why now concept, especially in B2C. I think it leads to some opportunistic thinking, some opportunistic founders, some fad or, or risks around not deep trends, not, a, a lot of betting on where things will land. So personally, I'm more attracted to what I would call heavier spaces and more concrete angles, not linked to, to, to the why now. You know, take shipping, take infrastructure, right? Mobility, some aspects of it, not all the plays we've seen lately, right? Take B2B SaaS plays, right? I want to see the why now in terms of there is a new way to deal with problems, not that the problem suddenly merged. Again, that could be a great way to build a gazillion dollar business, but it's also a very high, highly probable that there, there is something not thought through. The team could be more opportunistic. It's more a me too game. It's suitable for a VC which has 50 bullets. are going to spend one there, you know, like AI now, obviously, right? And chatbots like mobility two years ago. So I, I'm, why now with a caveat? Question for me is diversification. So... How do you think about that, right? You said you put 10% of your time, you know, portfolio theory says diversify. There's also the earlier you go, shots on goal is important. But I think it's also a conscious decision, right? Like you can do a volumes game and index the market. You can be more selective and select. So would love to understand how you think about diversification and your capacity to support the founders. Let's take the two sides, right? Our investors and actually our own money, right? And then the founders. So on the former, we are not a VC which plays that game, right? 50 investments, each time thinking, will this return the fund, right? You need enough shots to increase the probability of that happening once or twice or three times, right? So if you're an LP and want to get that diversification benefit, you'll not get it from us where we do six, seven, eight deals per year max. You'll get it from a, from a, 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 a and by the way, we don't have any commitment. We might say, hey, we didn't like anything this quarter, we're not going to invest in anything. You as an LP will find that benefit from a more spread out approach. So simply, we we don't care about the number of shots. We care about making the best shots possible. And we very well know that mathematically, it could be possible that we took eight shots and the ninth shot would be the huge winner. But we feel quite comfortable about that because and I'm getting a bit also to the founder's uh, point. And I think I mentioned earlier, right, we're not going to, to back a company unless it's not very clear why we can really materially increase the probability of its success, right? What, what I personally like about us is that our backgrounds of the Cloud9 partners are very diverse, right? There's a finance guy who's an insane finance guy, like Harvard, Goldman Sachs, private equity, KKR, etc., right? I have no idea about finance in detail, right? I'm, I'm a marketplace operations expansion guy, right? Now there is a, a very, very strong tech person. So the idea is that we, are, we, we, we have complementary capabilities in the basic pillars that an early stage venture needs to succeed. 
So you, with one ticket, you're going to get, so to speak, the value of five investors. So that's how we try to offset that lack of, let's call it diversification benefit, by really maximizing the probability of a company succeeding. Ad- additionally, thanks to hopefully our, our support. And that's, that's one of the reasons we do a few deals a year. So that if you do the math, how much time we have, how much time we can allocate, we really can support founders. Not, hey, what's up me once a month? If you need an intro to an HR person, I'm going to send you one LinkedIn profile. <laughs> we, we are way more hands-on than that. It's a bit funny to hear you say that we only invest in, in companies where we can see that we can make a material difference. Because that's actually where I sometimes think that less experienced angels kind of tend to end up doing investments because they can see that they can help. But then if you do seven of those or 10 of those, you're in a, in a way you end up doing investments that need help. As a consequence, you end up with the, not the best of the bunch, right? And, and at the same time, you know, it's also, well, is that a criteria to be looking for, right? What if the perfect deal is there, but you see them probably not needing you too much, but you're still invited onto the cap table. How do you think about that, Manol? It's two layers of considerations. Number one, independent of our ability to help, right? What is the right to win of this team? Primarily in terms of the four pillars I mentioned. If we have very strong conviction around that, there's the additional consideration. It's not the other way around. And I'll give an example. We invested a few months ago in in a company called Relay, which effectively is bringing the Chinese delivery model into Europe. And they're they're doing super well, by, by the way, right? After, quote-unquote, passing our test, let's now explore our ability to help, right? As you might know, I was at Uber for five years. One of our founding partners leads a a very big part of of the DoorDash product team. DoorDash itself had considered the same model in the past, right? So you can imagine there that we we at least think that of a unique ability to to help Jonathan, who's the founder, and the team, Right? So it's an additional consideration we're going to inject after the first degree of criteria have been met. But, but I agree with you, Andres, that's, a, that's a, 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 a very possible psychological bias, right? Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. also flattering for an investor to create that story in their head of, oh, I'm uniquely valuable and this is exactly what I know. I mean, we had this idea in the past. So, so you need to be aware of, of all your biases. And that's exactly probably the point that I would want to make on, on exactly that, right? That that. It's so tempting to do, you know, to kind of confirm your own beliefs of grandeur. <laughs> so I think even seeing opportunities sometimes, Andreas, you know, it's like I'm, I, I won't say I've done like two and a half years of operating, so I'm not going to claim I'm an operator, but I have been specializing in, in fintech in a wide sense. So there is a risk from the fact that I've been doing fintech for a long time or human knowledge, I've been doing marketplaces for a long time, that you see all the problems in a company. And, you know, it's like as a founder, you need to be slightly naive to start something. As an investor, do you need to be slightly naive for an opportunity? Or maybe at least I think you need to be firm beliefs loosely held and driven by the inside of the founder, right? I think it's that very fine line. And I think the the way I look at that is you need to swing to both sides of that pendulum to balance yourself, right? You start from, from naivety. You have no idea, you get carried away by the enthusiasm or some opinion or some data point, right? After becoming mature and knowledgeable and data-driven and detailed and you learn the space, and to your point, Anthony, you you know all the problems immediately, which also is is equally unhealthy, 
And then it's about deliberately balancing yourself, right? And, and being insightful. Not yeah. too risky, not too risk averse, not too naive, not too, no, not over detailed, but insightful, like to the right degree. And if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I'm sitting back here thinking that, well, the fund investments that David and I do, we tend to also do, you know, primarily funds that we have a very close connection with in terms of us having similar worldviews, similar focuses, similar community-based dynamics, similar focus on, on activating the angel groups and so on. And in the end, you know, you could argue that that's the, the fund investment equivalent to, to doing exactly what you're saying. On that note, actually, how do you collaborate with other angels and VCs if you do so? Um, and all this would love to hear. I mean, with VCs in multiple ways. I mean, we're very close to most of the European VCs you'd, you'd have in mind. We either co-invest or we partner with them on deals of startups we've already invested in. Or uh, VCs very often will ask for our opinion, we'll offer co-investment opportunities, they'll ask us to vet a team or a founder, etc. So we work very closely with them. And other angels, the same, right? We're going to exchange good opportunities. We might ask each other to, for an opinion and we might join cap tables together. It's not antagonistic, if that's... No, but I love that organic part of because you're operators with subject matter expertise that many times some of those firms or VCs come to you because they want even diligence and opportunity and get that insight. So it's so, it's so organic. That happens very often. Yep. And I've learned, by the way, the most sustainable way of being top of mind from a sourcing perspective is to be the go-to person for something specific, right? Like for me, going back to that, I, it's been paying off for me that if it's something fintech specialist, like it pays off for more for someone to like say, oh, maybe Anthony has seen something or has an opinion or knows someone. So let's ping him versus like Anthony's a good friend and a good guy and I'll think about them next time, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really work like that. Exactly. And again, to, to my point around complementarity, each one of us at Cloud9, we gravitate towards that, your fintech equivalent, right? And, and have some, some sort of broader or more specific identity around that expertise. Yeah. Everybody, for me, I get a, a huge number of things on marketplaces, which I don't mind because I do love them, but that's a pattern for me personally. I'd love to ask you because... Now we spoke about the uh, Google and, and Uber alumni before. You also mentioned the Middle Eastern investment that you've done. How do you think about investing internationally? I don't in the sense that it's not something we're trying to optimize for in itself. We've invested in, I, I'm not sure if I'm getting the number right, as Cloud9 in 10 different countries and personally maybe in 20. So it's not a factor in itself. It could influence some of the things we do care about. You know, Do we understand the market for us to have a view? Does that market make sense in terms of right to win? But, but we don't have any bias, positive or negative, for a given market per se. Then, it, because one thing, how you think about the opportunities, right? But how do you how do you build the access points into those opportunities? Uh, let me let's take myself as an example. I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure of belonging to mostly international communities of different countries, right? So I'll give you an example: the Stanford GSP network, which is super active. California-based, right? Kogira is based in London and Amsterdam. Uber, US, Amsterdam, India headquarters, right? There's a Google Southern Europe, and by the way, South Africa was also part of that region. Again, there's a, a network there. So, so a lot of things come to, to, to us and, and to me specifically from different markets without some additional effort for that to happen. 
in my opinion, if you want to, you know, how to become an active angel investor and you start, it starts becoming faster and easier and more meaningful, etc. I mean, number one is you actually need to put in the time and the effort, like everything else. <laughs> so there's a lot of people, I think, who, as I said, regarding how I started 10 years ago, my first couple of days, it sounds cool. Oh, I'm an angel investor. Oh, I put money in that startup. Oh, I get a bi-monthly update. Oh, I get to ask smart seeming questions to a business. You know, the, the, the more more juvenile uh, way, way to live at it, right? But, you know, just put in the effort, put in the time, and one, things bring, one thing brings the other. Try to, to, to join communities. A community doesn't mean formal communities. It can be informal communities. We're a community in this conversation, right? You, Anthony, might think of me in three weeks and send me an amazing marketplace you saw in Denmark. You have no idea about what it means, right? And you might call me to, to ask for my opinion. So formal and informal communities... And again, something general, back to my point on us having great fun, you need to enjoy doing it because it takes passion. There are some repetitive things, right? You know better than me. Intro calls, begs, right? It's very repetitive. You need to genuinely actually enjoy it and not do it for the... For the because it's fashionable. <laughs> another, an, another veteran seed investor GP once told me that like angel investors or seed investors that do it serially or they do it really meaningfully are like by design irrational, right? Because if you want to optimize for making money, you might as well just be a growth guy and sit back and relax and do like big checks, right? So you have to be passionate, right? You have to be driven by that energy when you when you talk to that one person that's like, you know, obsessed about this space and, and going after some some passion area. So totally agree with that. Yeah, exactly. Or you can become an LP in a VC and do nothing, right? I love that. <laughs> and then start a podcast as well, because that is very comfortable. <laughs> I have one question before we go to our core learning segment, and that is, Manolis, we just spoke about doing international investments. And Cloud9 is consisting of five Greek descendants. I'd love to ask you, how did that come about? Why why Greek? Did you all meet in high school? How, how is... First of all, I want to be very clear from the get-go. We're not proud of our lack of diversity, both in, in national heritage and gender. <laughs> We're no. only well that prone. But that, what, what happens in, in reality is that, and it has its upsides, right? We know each other for 20 years in different combinations, these five people, right? One, one person there was my best friend since childhood, and we went to Stanford together. Right? The other is a partner of mine through Google 13 years ago. So organically, we knew each other. And that is important, right? That is important. It's part of why things can work out is knowing who you work with, you've worked with before, there's good chemistry, you, you, you respect each other, you admire each other. There's no, there's no the equivalent of founder risk, right? Yeah. And, and the thought we all had, I mean, how this happened was quite simply, so all of us were quite active angel investors and we were operators, and we have different backgrounds, right? So, so we said, hey, one, this supermarket approach, right? We, we, we become one ticket, which means that a founder can kind of pick and choose. Oh, I want marketing. Oh, I want to help on operations. Oh, I want to help on scaling. I want to help on product. I want to help on hiring a PM. We can do all that with that one ticket because simply we're five complementary people. Number two, we're all data operators. So we don't share with you the classic article on Medium about what market is marketplace and share of wallet, blah, blah, blah. Like, you need to go way deeper with <laughs> like And that's one of my learnings, by the way. Like, this, the truth and the value can lie 11 layers deep, which is very specific to a space, an uncle, a geo, and a company. 
something to unlock something. Right? It can be very detailed. So we're all kind of detailed, heavy operators. And number three, we said, hey, we can, like mathematically speaking, quadruple our deal flow and get to, to, to be extremely selective because we're not increasing the number of companies we back. We're massively increasing the denominator and there's a compounding effect. So that's how we got together. I just want to double click on it because we've got, of course, an audience listening in and some of them are going to be thinking about forming groups similar to Cloud9. So I wanted to unpack your, your learnings there. Out here learning more about them angels, are you? So I know you might have already shared some, but would love to hear if you had to share three core learnings from your time angel investing, what would those be? Honestly, for me personally, number one, to become a better listener. I'm not a good listener. <laughs> I speak a lot. Uh, that's the Greek heritage. Yeah, there's a, a culture. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that one sentence, one phrase, one word can be extremely crucial. That one bullet point, I don't know, again, let me use Marco, around how you're going to unlock supply in that ICP in that geo, in that space, right? So you, you just need to listen way more than you speak, which is not my natural inclination. Number two, which is what I mentioned a minute ago, is this uniqueness of, of execution. I mean, of course you can extract learnings, right? And that's why there's podcasts, right? That's why the podcast exists, because somebody can be asked, what are the best things? I, I don't know. Again, let's use market races to, to build to solve, this, to solve the, the chicken egg problem marketplaces, right? Or to build supply or to fix fulfillment. I'm sure that, of course, there are extractable learnings, right? And these things generally have worked and might work. But it's so specific and, and, and so there's so much discovery that you need to be very deep and think uniquely about each business, right? And an example which has stayed with me is the Airbnb example. I remember at Stanford, the professor gave us a list of, it was 50, 25 bullet points. And it's like, guess which of the following things was the, the breakthrough point on Airbnb to, to, to unlock the marketplace. And one of the bullets, which I remember I, I saw, it was like having bigger photos and more professional looking photos. I'm like, no way, right? That's a detail. And it was actually that, right? All the things that unblocked Airbnb, it was a, a huge trust problem, was to pay the photographer uh, capability and actually send their own photographers to each property to take the right photos, which increased the professionalism. And they, that's how they, they broke through the lack of credibility problem. I would never, ever have guessed. I remember I, I was in class. I looked at that bullet one. I'm like, there's no way this is it. Let me look at the rest ones. It was that. You cannot discover that by any podcast or any list or any interview with another, with a founder in another space, in another stage, another geo, right? It's very, it's, it's a, not unique. I'm not going to necessarily say unique, but it's very closely linked to this, the specific set of where your business is, right? So that's number two. And number three, which again, I also mentioned in the beginning, be careful of this why now, both as, as a founder and as an investor, right? I've seen a lot of heads jump into the same uh, uh, cave because uh, uh, everybody convinced everybody else, right? And I do now, by now, personally have, again, a preference for the less sexy, the less obvious why now, heavier, older, dinosauric businesses. <laughs> I'm sure if you're talking about ChatGBT, 
Sure, but, but, but there you need to bloody be a huge deep tech expert to really know what the why now really is, right? And I'm not personally, so I'm not gonna claim I am nor play that game around this huge why now, which, which is what builds Google, right? If you, can, if you really can assess that why now, sure, I can't, with the level of comfort that I, I, I demand of myself. Look, I think the why now, putting a software touch to it on my side, like I totally get where you're coming from, right? Which is a why now can super hype something and can put too much attention to something. It can even become almost a Ponzi scheme from a VC perspective. Like everyone's backing this trend and so it's like taking off and so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy to nowhere. So I can definitely attest to that. I would say though, what I, just to be devil's advocate to that, and I'm not saying that's not why now, but tailwinds do matter though, right? It's a bit like I would back execution and team quality at that stage versus market any day, but like really good execution with a market that's not working is probably going to lead to failure. And I'm happy to do that and then repack that founder. The other way around, a market that's really working because it's essentially riding on extreme tailwinds gives, let's say, a bit of room for errors in execution, right? So I think there's a very interesting, I'm going in a derivative of what you said. 100%. No, 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 not only tailwinds, even why now matters. My point is to be very mindful of it, not yes. that it matter. Real why now matters. My point is that real why now matters, but it's very easy to mistake why now for the absence of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Thank you. It's a very good point to pin out, right? Because because it, it's the nuance of what the why now question is actually about. It's not about do we have a huge growing market and a trend that points in your direction and then go ahead and, and invest, right? It's much more granular and detailed than that. And, and that is where probably you see many, and I don't see that many pitch decks from founders anymore. And when I do, I'm very quick to close them again. But that's probably where both founders and 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 and, and angels sometimes get it wrong in the sense that they don't dig deep enough to have a good, credible why now answer. I did see someone bash on the why now and the whole Sequoia approach to uh, their old pitch deck, but I do think that, that there's still massive credibility to, to, to putting that up front and center in your, in your, both in your pitch, but also in your analysis of, of investment. Do you agree with me that, that it's just about nuancing the question in the right direction? I'm not at all invalidating the concept of why now. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying that it's easy to get it wrong and it can be correlated with more opportunistic thinking and less mission-driven founding teams that you'd want to back. That, that's my point. It's even more nuanced, right? And I, going back to bottom-up and seeing things, I've seen, you know, going and projecting on MySpace, right? In like FinTech, how many people have backed in companies on a regulatory shift that's about to happen, right? It's like, now is the time in one month, this regulation is changing. Everything's going to change. I will never back on the basis of that. I will factor that in. It will be a small factor. And I will assume it's going to take a year longer, by the way. And it's going to be a small factor into the investment decision. Just want to give a concrete example sure. of that. Now I want to take us into our quick fire. Quick fire. Are you ready for it? Sure. Sounds sounds menacing, but let, let's go ahead. It is absolutely menacing. And I'll start with the, the worst question of them all, which is what is the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you started angel investing? 
I have a proclivity to trust more introverted founders than extroverted, even though I'm an extrovert, because sometimes it, it comes, they come a bit across more as salesy or less data-driven. Again, unfairly and, and rightfully so. It's, it's a bias on my side. That's my bad. But I put trust in less fancy, less salesy, data-driven, concise founders. Second question, what would be your top tip to angels that want to do more international investments? Go for a walk and think if you actually really want to do that or it's trendy and you look good. <laughs> and finally, what advice would you give to your own 10-year younger self if you only had 30 seconds? Oh my God, that's a very, <laughs> a very hard question. Stress way less because you have no idea what's good for you in the first place. The amount of times that I thought I wanted something, I didn't get it. And then some years later, I'm like, God, thank you. I didn't think God things worked out the, that other way. And vice versa. I got something I thought I wanted in any part of life. It's not professional only. And, I, and then I realized, okay, actually, why, why did I really want to No. So... I'm not saying it from a romantic perspective or from a self-help perspective, just very rationally. You don't know, like a lot of things are like literally 50% conducive to, you, to, to success or happiness, 50% the opposite. So just recognize that and, and like leave it to, to, to happenstance to some degree because you just simply don't know. The power of the bottom-up, that's what I call what you were saying before with your uh, learning of being an operator. Always refreshing to have more angel investors like you, Manolis. Thanks for, for taking the time. Nice packaging. I hadn't thought of it. Like, no, I think it's a quite all-encompassing one. Thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate you joining the pod. My pleasure, my pleasure. Nice to see you guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Super Angel Podcast, the go-to podcast for angels backing the next generation of European unicorn founders. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends and join our Angel LP Syndicate at eu.vc. And if you're an angel listening in and wanting to get closer to the European angel scene, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to connect and see how we can play together. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. Vaban from Carter is the easiest way to launch and run your syndicate. Vaban's end-to-end platform automates your back office so you can focus on what matters, supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs and building your network. Angel investors are the fuel to innovation, and they've created the Atom SPV to allow for more deals, more ownership, and less fees. Backed by Carter, the leading fintech infrastructure company, Vaban will be with you all from fundraising to exit. Investors on the Vaban platform have raised over $2.5 billion in global investments for companies including Revolut, Bolt, and SpaceX. If you'd like to learn more, please check out www.vaban.io forward slash EUVC. You've been touched by an angel, girl.